Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Said he never met a man he didn't like. Wait, let me back up and make sure I got that right. He might have liked every man he ever met, that's true. But he never said he liked every man that he knew. I met a woman with a mightiest touch. I could never get her to touch very much. I met a man of opportunity, he never offered any of it up to me. I met a soldier in a recruit who said he'd make a man out of me and stole my youth. Working for a man who could not stop lying, drove us all off a cliff and called it flying. All right, because we don't know no better, we are doing another Ask or Tell Me Anything. Ask and or tell me anything? Ask and or but tell me anything. Uh, anyway, that you understand, the number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And we've already got three excellent-looking callers on the line. We also have a Mr. Carp envelope. If I run out of topics, run out of things to say, if I have to sneeze, which I think I do right now, um, we will have a Mr. Carp envelope, which I can open. Someone has to ask me to open it. That's the only thing. And we don't know what's inside it. I don't have time to explain to it. I told you I had to sneeze. Thank the Lord there's nobody else in this room. I could have killed everybody. Um, I do – before I go to the callers – no, I'll wait. There's some stuff I do want to say about COVID, even though I just sneezed. So um, oh, where to begin? Where to begin? They all look so interesting. Let's just go at the top here. Here's Rob in New Haven. Hi, Rob. Hey, Colin, how you doing? Good. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the first memories I have of um, Alex Trebek on a hit TV show. We have to go 32 years ago. And the hit TV show was Doogie Hauser, MD. He was on Doogie Hauser? He was on Doogie Hauser. I had to go look it up because I remembered seeing him on Doogie Howser, 1990, on sometime in January. Did he play himself? No. What did he do? He played. He played himself, and um, Doogie was going on um, out of Jeopardy along with like two other child geniuses. And it was quite an episode, as I remember it. I bet you it was a, it was a rip snorter. All right, so we have to cut to the chase. Ken Jennings or Mayim Bialik? Uh, no, uh, no, it was Alex Trebek. No, 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 I'm asking you. I know. We have to get past Doogie Hauser. We can't talk about Doogie Hauser okay. all morning. I'm saying uh, no, Ken I'm, Jennings I'm or Mayim. Ma- I'm, I'm a future fan 
of Alex Trebek. Yeah. But one, one interesting thing about the Doogie Hauser is if there was also game theory on it, and supposedly Doogie figured out what the um, final final question was going to be about. Wow. All right. Well, Rob, we have to move on. I could talk to Doogie Hauser all day with you, but I'm not sure the listeners would necessarily appreciate that. Uh, and you seem unwilling to tackle uh, the the question of great magnitude right now, which is Ken Jennings, Maya Bialik. I hope, hope I'm saying her name right. I'm a Ken Jennings person anyway, so I don't need I don't need to learn her name unless she gets the job. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to move on uh, to. Uh, I hope I'm saying this correctly. I think I am. Oa uh, in uh, in or on Long Island. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Good. I heard something the other day that's sort of like explained it a little to me just in terms of, I mean, everything is so screwed up, but the war, um, where it was called, uh, the war was colonialism. Mm-hmm. And I had to think about it for a while. Like, what does that mean? Go in, uh, you know, America and like these groups. And it did, uh, sort of explain cause Ukraine is everything. It's Russian. It's like, there's so many things in there. And they're all hitting on each other, like, you know, which, you know, we're going to be this, we're going to be that. And it just seemed to make, make sense that it was a colonial war. Well, for there for to be a colonial war, I, I don't, I'm not sure I even grasp the concept here. In other words, for I suppose for it to be a colonial war, we would be suggesting that Ukraine either was or putatively could be a colony of the kind of greater Russia uh, the, I mean, there's like, I, I, is that is that why it makes sense to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm I'm just a jerk. You know, so, you know I don't know <laughs> the technical aspects of much, but you know, it it just is such a mixed up country with all you know. And originally, Russia owned that whole block, you know, and they and they want it back, you know. And I mean, it's it's, it's just the usual BS, right? Uh, well. Game. Well, there you go. I, while we're on this subject, I do want to say, I, you know, I've been uh, thinking a little bit about and listening to um, a podcast that's related to this. You know, I mean, first of all, as you probably know, if you're listening, they had Victory Day, Victory Day in Russia today, which is like they celebrate their victory in World War II. They have a big parade, a huge military parade in Moscow. They say, all right, uh, generals, uh, you, you get to the, to the front of the parade. Generals? Are they any? Generals here? Um, a little low on generals right now, and probably the generals who are around, eh, keep it a pretty low pro- profile, maybe dressing as corporals. Uh, but, you know, this is sort of point made, this point was made on the Breaking Points podcast today. You know, we are in an odd way escalating our involvement with Ukraine and, and, and in the Ukraine conflict. Uh, and and doing it in a I'm first, first of all I just want to say I'm not afraid and I don't think we should be entirely afraid of upping the ante a little bit with Russia but what we're doing right now is in two instances a the killing of generals and b uh, the sinking of a flagship basically saying you know we're providing the intelligence for this we're providing real time intelligence to tell Ukraine how when and where to kill generals and sink flagships which is you know, I mean, not necessarily the way that we understood what our involvement would be in the first place and is being done absent public debate. 
yeah, typically, you know, I mean, this is the, the reality of the United States in war is, I mean, we have this gigantic defense budget, this gigantic Pentagon operation. We can give anybody a war anytime, anytime we want to, anytime they want to. Just let us know. We'll have a war. We're so ready. And we've gotten pretty sloppy, incredibly sloppy, one might say, about how we engage and whether or not there's any kind of public debate beforehand. So, you know, I mean, obviously the intelligence services, they're they're enjoying this. Like, you know, we, we're we good. Who's, you know, who's better than us? Who's got it going on? We do. We know where the Russian generals are. And we tell Ukraine, Ukrainians how to hit them. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that under these circumstances. But there's a certain amount of risk inherent in that. I mean, sooner or later, there might be reprisals. The people on breaking points were, were bringing up the fact that <clears> – <throat> Not too long, not too many years ago, there was a big story out of Afghanistan that there was a bounty on U.S. soldiers, uh, and we were pretty outraged about that. <laughs> that the Russians, I should say, had put in a, put a bounty on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. So, in a way, I mean, we kind of you know taken that a couple of steps up here, going to you know, assassinate, not assassinate, but arrange for the killing of generals of Russian generals. All right, so uh, we're going to move along here. And we're going to go next to Mary in Kent. The number, by the way, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. I know Oa said he was a jerk. You do not need to be a jerk to call. I don't think Oa was a jerk anyway, but uh, you do not. It's not like jerk day here or anything like that. Uh, Hi, Mary. Uh, You're on the air. Hi. I want to call about Clarence Thomas and his comments on Friday Mm -hmm. uh, in regard to the general population's reaction to the Roe Wade leak. Um, It just shows to me a stunning lack of self-awareness of where he fits into the scheme of things right now in consideration to his wife's behavior and things that she said and done in regards to the uh, January 6th. Right. So Um, so just to frame this, and I don't have the language in front of me, but he basically said this kind of feeds an atmosphere. And he was talking about the leak. He said it kind of feeds an atmosphere where people can take matters into their own hands or something along those lines. Yeah, one of his quotes was, well, people aren't willing to, quote, live with outcomes we don't agree with. Right. And uh, it can't be that institutions, quote, give you only the outcome you want or can be bullied. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> it's just the irony is off the charts. Right. Me. I will first of all tell you that uh, senior producer Lily Tyson is working on an episode which we will uh, ideally uh, put live on the air tomorrow about not the Roe decision, uh, not the Alito um, draft or anything like that, but uh, about the Supreme Court itself. And, and I want to specifically get into that. That Yes, I understand why they're so outraged. Uh, by the the leak of the draft, I understand also. I get it that you know, in a way, to have any kind of deliberative process, you need a little bit of space for people to think about things. People are unlikely to change their initial opinion uh, based on new information or new arguments if it's all being done in front of an audience. Uh, mm-hmm. So I sort of get why they like keep keep things private. On the other hand. They act like somebody, you know, murdered a just murdered Elena Kagan in the in the front lobby or something. I mean, this is a leak of a draft. It, it is not one of the greatest crimes against humanity ever committed. And they, to your point, they don't ever want to live by any rules at all. The only rules that they like are the ones that benefit them, 
and then accommodate them. And you, as far as I can tell, Ginny Thomas can go up to the Capitol with a bazooka and start shooting at it. And Thomas will still rule in these cases uh, unless John Roberts sits down and says, you got to stop doing this. But, yeah. you know, there's no code of ethics. There's no anything. Uh, and there's a you know, this um, there's a concept in law. I hope I'm going to come up with this. I did it right the other day. Nemo judex in, in sua casa. No one should be a judge in their own case. But they are the judges in their own case. They always are the judges in their own case because there's nobody else around to judge them. They existed initially as a sort of check on other forms of government. I think that's how they're sort of understood or thought of in the Constitution, but there's no check on them. I mean, other than impeaching one of them, which would be extraordinarily difficult, there's no active check on what they do. So unless John Roberts can, you know, reason with Clarence Thomas, he's going to just go right ahead and, you know, issue rulings on January 6th cases, even though his wife is up to her hips in the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, I agree. All right. Okay. Did we, have, we had a satisfy. All right. We had a, we had a, you have something else to do. I understand. People are busy. Uh, they got to do what they got to do. Um, all right. Um, let's go to. Boy, it feels like there's a little bit of darkness in the calls today, but we'll see. We'll see. Except for the Jeopardy call, uh, the Doogie Hauser call. That was just full of joy. Uh, here's Wayne in Newington. Hi, Wayne. You're on the air. Hey, Colin. I just wanted to uh, address one thing. And I, you know, and I'll like I said, I'll I'll, I'll listen to the uh, the conversation off the, you know, like not on the call, but you know, it just seems to me we had slavery just prior to this, you know, the Civil War that we had, in which everybody knows about. Is this is this the lead up to the next Civil War in our country? That's that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head around this, and um, I'd I'd be appreciative of. Everybody just weigh in on that. Well, I, I doubt you'll ever see a civil war over this, although there's some really good novels about that. But, um, I mean, we did a whole show a few years ago about secessionist movements and how possible it is to still do a secessionist movement. And, and you know, I mean, actually, secession obviously precedes civil war in some instances, like the one you mentioned. Um, you know, would there be something like that? You know, it's hard for me to believe that that's a real possibility, although I will say this. So much of it depends on who plays their hand and in what way. So, I mean, McConnell is kind of dangling this idea of essentially overplaying his hand and maybe going for a national abortion ban. I don't think that would precipitate a civil war, but if anything connected to the abortion debate could precipitate a civil war trying to enact a national ban on abortions would be it. My guess is that ultimately this is going to be resolved on a state-by-state basis. And it's, you know, I mean, unless there's – the only way that it does become a civil war is if there is some way in which states feel like they don't have the ability to offer legal abortions. Now, meanwhile, there's an attempt in Congress to codify existing policies led by, among other people – U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal. I don't think that's going anywhere either. But the question is, could we take what's in Roe and probably more relevantly what's in Casey uh, and make it the law, make it the law of the land? Uh, Just the way Congress is constructed these days, I I don't think you get the votes for that. Uh, I mean, in fact, it's pretty clear they're not going to get the votes for that, given how many votes you would actually need, et cetera, et cetera. 
but yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm not quite worried yet about a civil war. Like, we got enough problems without inventing new ones. We got a pandemic. By the way, we have like a new wave of the pandemic. Let's just, can we just kind of admit that to ourselves? But, you know, I mean, so we're doing a show pretty soon. I'm going to go to Molly and uh, Katie in just a second. But um, we're going to uh, do a show at some point. We've been talking about this for a while about something called Dunbar's number. And Dunbar's number, you can look it up. It, it, the, the premise is that human beings have the cognitive capacity to sustain meaningful relationships with about 150 people. Gets bigger than that, you can't do it. Uh, and then there's sort of lots of really interesting and occasionally somewhat charming examples of you know why that would be the case. But one that came up in one of our meetings is, you know, like if you have 150 people at a wedding, I mean, I guess theoretically it could be more because there's two, there's a bride and a groom. But 150 like people is like that's sort of like is about as big as a wedding can easily get. Gets bigger than that. You got a lot of people there who don't even know what they're doing there uh, and aren't recognizable by the <laughs> the bride and groom. But anyway, why am I bringing this up? Because think of your own 150. Think of your own Dunbar's number of people. Your list. How many of those people? have COVID right now or are living in a house where somebody has COVID uh, or have had a really significant prolonged direct exposure to an active COVID case, like like right now-ish. Um, because I think one of the problems now is, the I mean, our data collection has never been any good in this country, just been like nightmarishly bad. I can say more about that if there's time later. But um, and and now with so much of it, so much of it going on at a self testing level, a lot of this stuff is just kind of managed, right? You you get your Binax test, you do it, you're COVID positive, you call into work, say I'm not coming in, <laughs> you go lie down in your bed, you drink some broth, I don't know, whatever you do, it gets worse. Maybe you start thinking about trying to get some Paxlovid, but there isn't necessarily a great mechanism for your case. Uh, to become part of the statistical landscape. So I don't think we really know how many cases of COVID there are out there, or I don't think we're even close to knowing how many active cases of COVID. But there's clearly a pretty big resurgence right now. There's a surge going on. So anyway, to say what I was saying, going to say before, we got that. We got Ukraine. Yeah, we got you know what, what apparently is going to be uh, an abortion decision, a row-related decision that will be unpleasant and displeasing to many people. Uh, we got strife. We got midterm elections. I don't know. Why invent a civil war we don't have right now? Um, all right. So uh, here's Katie in New Haven. Then we'll go to Molly in Collinsville. And then we will take a break. Uh, the number is 888-720-WNPR. You can call up about anything. That's, it doesn't even have to be anything that's in the news. It could be, you know, Questions uh, about about anything, really, about the nature of reality. 888-720-9677. Hi, Katie. Hi. Hi, Colin. What's up? I have no idea. All right. So I'm calling because yesterday I had a relative tell me they started seeing a naturopath mm -hmm. and they got diagnosed with some kind of candida yeast infection in their gut. And I... <laughs> eclectic alternative medicine is a bit of just uh, debunking it rather is a bit of an interest of mine. So I knew exactly what she was talking about and I instantly got scared for her. So I guess I just want to talk about, I, I was curious how many naturopaths are in Connecticut 
So we were sitting at a restaurant when she told me yesterday, and I Googled it, and there were at least four down the block from me, all around. And it's just, I've seen the prevalence of it increasing. I've seen, and it, it, let's be honest, it's not real medicine. We Like, fact, it's not real medicine. And I just want to feel like I'm doing something to call attention to this and help people who are disenfranchised, who are basically targeted by these groups. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have similar feelings, but I'm, and I think you know more about this than I do. I'm just sort of guessing, but I'm not completely unaware of this. And I do feel as though there, I mean, if you, there are instances where somebody goes to see a naturopath and they basically suggest a pretty massive lifestyle change, which for the most part would be stuff that maybe you'd want to try anyway, <laughs> you know, you know? Uh, and I don't think there's a tremendous amount of harm in that. I mean, the harm comes if you substitute that for more conventional kinds of medicine where, you know, things have been tested a little bit better and there's, you know, and, and I think we've seen in the last two years the risks of going with alternative medicine in really dire situations. I mean, all of the things that have been done and tried and offered up as alternatives to, you know, sci- scientifically driven approaches to the pandemic have made the pandemic worse. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if somebody t- said they're going to a naturopath, somebody I knew, I would say, well, fine. But I mean, you know, if you actually have specific symptoms that you're needing to have addressed, you really want to make sure that they can be addressed. I mean, the medical establishment is not a blameless institution, right? We know they overprescribe antibiotics, for example. There's a, a lot of things that they do wrong. Uh, but the fact that they do things wrong isn't necessarily a, a reason to completely depart their midst in favor of, of naturopaths or osteopaths or, or, you know, anything else that, you know, might be kind of out there that's kind of or just doing what Joe Rogan says, also not a good idea. Um, but, um, but I sort of understand why people go, wow, I've been feeling like crap for two years and my regular old doctor, my PCP, isn't doing anything for me and doesn't have any idea why I feel like crap. Um, and so I'm going to try something else. Yeah. And I, I can understand that mentality because at a certain point, there is only so much that allopathic medicine can do. Yeah. And uh, yet these naturopaths aren't going to help either. You know, right. I, 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 this person I know doesn't have any chronic like lifetime illnesses as far as I know, but they're getting older and I'm, I'm really concerned for them going down the line, getting something serious and seeing a naturopath instead. Right. I mean, look, this sort of hit or miss with naturopaths. They, they might actually tell you to do something that's good for you. <laughs> maybe it yeah, turns out hey, you, maybe hey, it turns out you really shouldn't eat bread. <laughs> Um, yeah. They're eating less carbs, and I'm sure anyone would feel better eating less carbs right. in general. Like, um, that's not a bad idea. But so. I, I hear what you're saying, and certainly this is – it's not a time really to be trying non-traditional medicines. I think until we're out of this situation, I mean, I would hate it, for example – to tell you the truth, I've been feeling really lousy the last two days, and I can't quite figure out why it is I feel lousy. Is it lack of sleep? Is it allergies? Is it depression? It could be any of those things. Uh, but the th- you know, I really have to you have to kind of keep a watchful eye right now because 
You also could be, and I test. I actually do do Binax tests, you know, pretty regularly. At least twice a week, I test myself, uh, no matter what my symptoms are, and they're usually nothing. I test myself anyway, partly because I have a severely immunosuppressed family member whom I see on a regular basis, and I do not want to be be bringing him uh, a, a virus which I'm harboring asymptomatically. Um, I've actually forgotten what point I was trying to make, except that this is this is a time now to keep your foot on the science pedal. I understand you get restless maybe in times of peace, you know, in times of relative calm, and you think, yeah, none of this stuff works. I want to go see that person that that you know my friend uh, Ellie went to see. You know, Ellie had a good experience with this naturopath. I think I'll give that a try. Well, you're at liberty to do that. This wouldn't be a great time to try that, I don't think. All right, let's take a break. We'll talk to Molly from Collinsville. When we come back, this is Ask or Tell Me Anything. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. And it may come to that as the laws of the land change. Segue pretty nicely into the conversation we're about to have right now. It's Ask or Tell Me Anything. 
The number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677, and even if you don't have anything to say, you could simply command me to open a Mr. Carp envelope, and topics will fall out, and I will have to talk about them. So there's always that option. I'm a little scared of that today. I feel like my, my brain, as part of my general physical and mental malaise, my brain is not working that well today. All right, here's Molly in Collinsville. Hi, Molly. Hi, Colin. I'm calling because of the um, abortion situation. When I, I myself, I'm old, I'm in my 70s, and I got an illegal abortion when they were not available legally and ended up hemorrhaging and being hospitalized and seriously in bad shape. So at Y2K, when uh, women were worried that because of the maybe hospitals closing, who knew what would happen at that point, a network of women got together and um and we were trained in home abortions and um, assisted in having networks of women in the communities, mostly in New England, um, to be available if there was a need and um, women couldn't get um, abortions. And I've been at home birth, which were incredibly beautiful, and I've also been in hospice situations in death that were also very beautiful. And it may be surprising to people to know that home abortions, the ones that I attended, were equally beautiful. And one of the things that the women uh, shared that had had abortions that were in attendance was that they felt that the fetuses remained with them as um, you can choose whatever word, maybe like guardian angel would be, and that they felt the spirits were around and they weren't haunted by them. They felt that that was the plan of those fetuses to, when they contracted in for this lifetime. I think so, yeah that's uh, a that's a wonderful picture. I mean it's a wonderful picture you're pa- you're painting of a very sad situation. And by the way, I'm so sorry that you had to go through what you went through. That must have been really really scary and painful. Yeah, it was um it was scary. Um the luckily I had a good doctor who guessed what I had done and he said and he suspected it and I was afraid to tell him that It was true, and uh, he said, just nod your head, you know, and Mm -hmm. made it very safe for me to reveal what had happened. And then because I was under 18, they needed permission of my parents to um, operate on me, and um, he allowed me, I gave him my brother's phone number, and he called my brother, and my brother acted like he was my father and gave permission. Hmm. So that just ended up being a very compassionate, wonderful doctor um, that probably saved my life. And, you know, the stuff that you're uh, describing also in a more contemporary way, uh, I, that may, we may be heading towards much more of that kind of thing. I mean, it really is, 
you know, you the guy called up a little while ago and asked about a civil war. I don't think there's going to be a civil war, but I, I do think we could be headed into kind of handmaid's tale country, you know, where there are just kind of radically different sets of laws and customs in different parts of the country. Obviously, one of the things that could be a game changer, not a total game changer, are abortion pills or medication-induced abortion. But even those, there are steps being taken in red states to outlaw those, to outlaw, to make criminal penalties even for for the sale of those by mail. Uh, so whatever we do, we're either going to have to deliver it in the states that are friendly to people, to women seeking uh, abortions, or deliver it very, very secretly in places where things are are not like that. But, you know, this whole thing, I mean, I'm certainly not the first person to point this out, but, I mean, this whole thing also penalizes uh, people with reduced resources. In a con- it penalizes women in inverse proportion to the resources that they have. The poorer you are, the less worldly you are, the less connected you are, the more trouble you're in and the harder it's going to be to get out of that trouble. And to me, that's the biggest tragedy. There are a lot of people who can hop into a car or buy a plane ticket or something and go somewhere. But there's also a lot of people who can't do anything like that and are living in a state they've never left in their lives. Uh, and so the idea that under these circumstances they're going to take their first trip outside Mississippi and they're poor and they don't really know anybody anywhere else, that's a pretty terrifying prospect. Even if we set up humanitarian uh, systems and 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 rituals like the ones that you've described, uh, I worry. I worry about who's going to get them and who won't. That was our main concern uh, while I was in this training was that we wouldn't be able to reach women. There's, you know, there were, back then there were, weren't even cell phones. So there was no way to reach the women that probably really needed us most. And um, and it was it was terrifying. So what became a beautiful experience for those of us that engaged in it became a real concern that. And and one of the things that's not mentioned with with preventing abortions is that we're already living on a planet that's so overpopulated. We definitely don't need to add unwanted people to it. Yeah, although I'd be a little hesitant with that one. Just, I mean, just in the same sense, it's sort of like COVID, right? So COVID kills millions of people. It doesn't really have any significant impact on, I mean, first of all, you still wouldn't want to to reduce population that way. Uh, but, you know, millions and millions of people, it's, I mean, the, the, our, our level of overpopulation and its impact on the planet is so severe that, you know, having more abortions is not going to, I understand what you're saying, which is, you know, to whatever degree, you know, every human life exerts its own impact on the environment and on, on consumes, on consumption of resources. But I, I don't think that there's a significant impact to be made by either having or not having abortions. All right. So I guess we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Here is Joan in Morris. Uh, I should say Andrea uh, in Hamden wants to upbraid me about naturopathy, naturopathy. Uh, And Daniel in Colchester has something to say about the pandemic. All right. So here's Joan. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. I'm a displaced New Yorker, jaded as we New Yorkers are. (laughs) And I want to compliment you because I find your program uh, intelligent, informed, and motivating. So I'm motivated to try to do something that I hope might be helpful. 
and I am not good at satire. But this is my response to my outrage at the at the self-appointed importance and conviction of the religious purity of all of these people who probably don't know the difference between the Ninth and Tenth and Fifteenth and Fourteenth Amendments and probably haven't read the Constitution. So here we are. They all talk about, with great sanctification of their opinion, that they can decide for another human being what he or she should do with their body. I think it's outrageous. So how do we give them something that makes sense? How can we help these people defend their position? Well, I think it's easy. One, we remind them that all they talk about is the fetus. All they care about is this protoplasm in process, right? You never, ever hear about the sanctity of the quality of the life of these human beings when they enter the world of the living. Okay? It's outrageous. It's so beyond, beyond understanding. I think that each one of these women and men who make decisions without having read the Constitution and understanding their violation of other people's rights. These people, or men, should be in a registry. They should sign up, and for every child born because the mother could not afford or manage or arrange for a much-needed abortion, a child who might be 12 or 13 and the victim of rape or incest. One of the people on that side, the other side of the argument, should volunteer to be responsible for the life of one of those children. Because it's so outrageously infuriating that once these babies come out of the vagina of a female person, they don't give, uh, they don't care about what happens. The cost of creating a whole uh, system to take care of all of these unwanted children. You know, I mean, I, I, to this day, I can't improve on. Uh, I, I forget whether it was Joyce Lynn Elders or somebody in the Clinton administration, safe, legal, and rare. I don't know where that phrase came from, um, but uh, I always thought it was sort of the best way to talk about it. Uh, but the other part of it is what what I don't understand. First of all, uh, I, I'm not in any way uh, cast, casting asparagus on, on everything that you just said. I think it makes total sense, except that nobody on the other side of this question is ever going to think about it that way. And to be honest, they think it's murder. And so it's, you know, I mean, if you're going to say it's murder, it's pretty hard to sort of say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but to people because they're going to think they're going to say, well, yeah, the yeah, buts don't really mean that much to me because I think it's murder. So but, yeah, it seems to me that the one thing that I feel as though we could require from them 
that we're not going to get from an awful lot of them is a commitment to incredible, incredible um, education, uh, awareness building, and access to contraceptives. Um, I mean, if we could just start there, that's still not going to help. Well, obviously, women have been raped, who've been sexually abused within their families. You know, there are a lot of people who wind up being pregnant not because they couldn't get access to contraception, but because the circumstances under which they were made pregnant didn't even really make any room for that. But, you know, the people who are opposed to abortion and to contraception, I sort of feel like, well, that's not helpful. You know, I mean, that sort of suggests, you know, well, I mean, once again, I know where it comes from. It comes from a religion, religious absolutism. And I guess people are entitled sort of to their religious absolutism. But to me, it's a, there's a, that safe, legal, rare. It's a nice middle ground to meet in. It's like, you know, they should be safe. We don't want anybody, you know, like Molly before in these terrible situations of hemorrhaging and stuff like that. We don't want anybody getting arrested. Um, But we don't want a lot of abortions because abortions are kind of fundamentally either. I mean, it sounds like they've tried to make them into, in in terms of the ceremony, a more positive experience. But by and large, it's not a positive experience for anybody. It's like, it's not great when you have an abortion. So we want fewer of them. Uh, so to me, you know, I mean, birth control is a great way to start uh, and addressing some of the other social ills that lead to abortion uh, and, and recognizing that women are often, particularly young and poor women, often placed in situations where they really aren't in control of what happens to them. Uh, so let's go after those situations more. Um, you know, all of those things would be better than what seems to be being contemplated right now. All right. We got to take a break. I uh, want to leave time on the other side for Daniel and James and Andrea. So let's take that break. So are my clothes as I undress and pick an outfit for this sunny day because it's okay. All right, we are back. It is now time for me to say some thank yous. First to Cat Pastor. She is our technical producer. She's on the board making everything happen the right way. Uh, Jonathan McPants is the producer of this episode. He's up there screening calls and doing stuff like that. Uh, all right, so we've got uh, we got time for a bunch more phone calls, although we're a little short here. So let's go to Andrea in Hamden. Hi. Oh, hi, um, Colin. I just want to say I love your show, and I agree with you 90%, except for when you talk about alternative things. <laughs> and then I really feel like um, natural paths, it, it's, you know, I, I've had a, I go to a regular doctor, but I've used natural paths a lot, and they work so well together. And a lot of natural paths now, have come from MDs. Like I actually go to one that's an MD and a naturopath together because they complement each other. Um, when my child was young, she had chronic ear infections over and over again. And the pediatrician could only offer surgery and tubes and antibiotics. And I really didn't want to do that to a baby. And so I said, well, you know what, I'll get a second opinion from a naturopath. And they gave me, um, um, a medicine, um, 
it was like an herbal thing that I gave her and it dried up all the liquid in her ear canal and she never got an infection again. And, you know, so they just work so well together. And, you know, even Chinese medicine, it's much older than Western medicine. So we can't just discount it that everyone's quack and they're preying on people. Right. And, 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 I, and I don't think that that's what I said at all. And in fact, I have been to a, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner in the past myself. Uh, I, and I think what you're, I think you and I are in pretty close agreement. Uh, what I said okay. is don't make it a substitute for allopathic medicine. In other words, the idea of combining the two makes sense, uh, I think. And there are, and I, I think I also said to the caller, you know, there are times where people just don't feel like they are getting anything out of their traditional PCP. They still feel like crap. And there's certainly, you know, at minimum, there's no harm if they say eat more brassicas, you know, have sardines twice a week, put some cinnamon on your muesli, drink more or water, try going without alcohol a couple of days a week. I mean, these are all pretty good things to do anyway. So right. um, I, I just would hate for somebody to only go to a naturopath and then miss something that could be treated uh, by by a more kind of legacy style of medicine. So I, I don't well, think... Yeah, go ahead. But I, I think I also would hate it if someone only went to a Western doctor and didn't, um, if they were having chronic things that the doctor couldn't handle, just say, oh, well, I just have to live, I have to live with this chronic pain, or I have to live with this chronic symptom that um, I can't, you know, take a pill to, to do away with. And as far as COVID goes, natural paths were great at helping people boost their immune system. And there should have been more talk about that. Because as we know, with the vaccine, it's great, you're not going to die. But it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. And there's all kinds of immune boosting things that they know about that that Western doctors don't know about. Yeah, but I just feel like we just wandered into such an incredible garbage dump uh, of pseudoscience and bad advice. And I'm not saying that natural paths necessarily belong in that garbage dump. But, you know, the Joe Rogans of this world telling everybody to use ivermectin, you know, and and, and Aaron Rodgers talking about he's doing Ayurvedic medicine now and this and that. And there's a lot of people don't know. And I'm not suggesting that Western med- medicine knows everything. They absolutely don't. And as I said at the outset with the other caller, yeah, they overprescribe antibiotics. There's all kinds of ways that they can screw up your body. And they have. Uh, but I do feel like during the pandemic, we saw the risk. The risk is, yes, obviously, I'm sure naturopaths can help you boost your immunity, you know, just doing almost kind of common sense stuff. But the larger damage was done because people didn't take the biomedical, the Western medicine explanation of what was happening, which we have and which is useful to limit transmission, to limit damage. You know, you have an awful lot of people. The, my, my problem also with the naturopaths is I feel you're always one step away from anti-vax, right? I mean, there's always like, oh, maybe I won't do, maybe I won't get the vaccine. And I mean, as a result... People always bring up, for example, Sweden, you know, Sweden, oh, they were much more laissez-faire. They, they, you know, they didn't impose all these things and look, they got really good results. Well, actually, they didn't get very good results. They did a lot of really weird stuff that we would be uncomfortable with. But to the extent that they were more laissez-faire, they're way ahead of us in, in vaccination, particularly on boosting. You know, we're, we're at about 30% boosted. They're about 50% boosted. Um, so Sweden, which was supposedly this wonderful place where people didn't, you know, feel like they had to follow any rules and there were no rules for them to worry about following. And none of that's precisely true. But to, to the extent that it's waved around as kind of an exemplar 
uh, of a, a much better way to go. Well, let's understand. I think they're about eight points ahead of us on sort of you know basic va- base vaccinations. One of J and J or two of the mRNAs. Uh, I, I think. It's somewhere, I think there are about eight percentage points ahead of us on that. And then there are 20 points ahead of us on boosting. So that's one thing I worry about with the naturopaths. As long as they're going to tell you, oh, there's nothing going on in this office that would tell you not to go and get vaccinated against COVID, uh, then, you know, naturopath, you're a little hard away as far as I'm concerned. All right, here's Daniel in Colchester. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? Okay. And uh, thanks. Thanks for everything that you guys always talk about. It's, it's such a great show. Thank you. Um, one of the things I wanted to explore uh, is since COVID, since Trump, is traffic and just the speeds that everybody seems to drive at. And the 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 norm was used to be like five miles an hour above, you were good. Now it's like if you try that, you're getting ran off the road. You know, <laughs> um, I'm just wondering how, you know, how these two things seem to have made that progress into what we see today on the highways. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll make up something on the spot, which is that, you know, people, I think, one of the things we've discovered lately is that people don't follow rules that they don't feel like cooperating with. And so, I mean, right now we're having a COVID surge. Uh, and, I mean, if you look at the comments from local, state, and national public health officials, a lot of what they're saying, particularly at the local level, is, well, we can't get anybody to follow these rules, so we're not going to make them anymore. There's no point in imposing a mask mandate of any kind because people won't follow it. Uh, and and so the, the power increasingly resides with rule breakers and rule defiers. Uh, it is now the case that the people who are the most pissed off and the least cooperative apparently have not only the power to do that, but to dictate policy. That's what our policy is. Our policy is to have no policy at all because people won't follow the policy. Uh, And I I don't know. I think it's a little slick for me to suggest maybe that is transferred over (laughs) into speed limits, except speed limits are enforced anyway. Those are enforced. If you you exceed the speed limit significantly and you get caught, you're going to get a big fat ticket. Whereas what we've decided in some of these other questions is nothing will happen to you. In fact, we won't even have a rule anymore because you didn't like the rule and you didn't follow the rule and you made a lot of trouble for flight attendants and store clerks and stuff like that. So you're going to get rewarded by having no rule, which was a very bad idea. All right, we have to go. Thanks for calling in. Thanks to everyone who helped out. 